It's Reading Aloud. My name is Nate Cordry. I host the show. It's Book Club Day. We're talking about Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. Holy moly. (laughs) Uh, But before we get into that, uh, I want to give a special thank you to all my readers and to uh, to my brother Rob, to Tommy Sadowski, to Tim Simons, Brian Husky, Aya Cash, who came and read at the LA Times Festival of Books last weekend, which was so much fun. And thank you if you showed up uh, for the show. It was an amazing turnout. We had a wonderful set of readers and a great conversation with Jonathan Gold, who, uh, do you guys know Jonathan yes, Gold? Yes, absolutely. Shit. Very cool. Um, it was so much fun, and I'm saving that episode for next week. So this week will be uh, a book club, which we're about to dive into. Next week will be that show in its entirety. Um, Sam was kind enough to come down with some recording capabilities. Yeah, that was a great show. It was a great, wasn't that great yeah, fun? Yeah, super fun. Jonathan Gold was fucking great. Everyone yeah. was great. Did we he had, bring food? I wish, no, but he talked me through like sort of step-by-step step, like places to go, like where to take your parents, where to go for on a date, where, wow. how to pr- pronounce Alhambra. It's Alhambra. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I also didn't know that it was Pulitzer. I thought it was Pulitzer. He won a Pulitzer. Oh. Pull. Pulitzer. Pull. 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 Yeah, I guess it is Pulitzer. Okay. What's that? It is not Pulitzer. It's not. Oh. And yeah, it's, I mean, he knows because he has one. So, um, But it was a great show. And thank you, Sam, for facilitating sure. all of that. And um, and thank you to Marit Orlis, who was my guest a couple weeks ago, who works at um, the LA Times, and who Eric, who is here for the book club, went to college with. I did. And you were in a play with her? I was at- in Loot by Joe Orton with her. I was, I forget the character's name, but I was her son. She was my dead mother. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. She was just a body the entire time. And oh, we, Jesus, that's we right. We threw that her all up. over the stage. Right, right. They did yeah. that play, Glenn, at, uh, I should introduce everyone first yeah, before we, I start saying people's names and my <laughs> listeners have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Uh, we'll go around the table. To my left is Kelly Carlin. Kelly was here promoting her book several months ago. Um, a Carlin Home Companion. Welcome back to the book club, well, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've I'm, I'm never read this book and uh, just excited to be a part of anything these days. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> You're among the living. I am. I yeah, am. I, that was the f- first question I wanted to ask everyone is, is if you had read this book like for school or. Wow, somehow this this didn't get into our yeah. list. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah but it's you. always been one of those on my book, on my list of classics I hadn't read. Um, yeah. And so it was really when you offered this to me, I was like, yeah, because I just read East of Eden earlier last year. And so I want to do one classic or two classics a year. So oh, cool. this was great to do. I'm glad to check that off your list for you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Glenn Davis is here. He's new to the book club and new to the podcast. Yes. Welcome, Glenn. First time. Uh, Glenn's an actor pal. We met way back at the Williamstown Theater Festival. Like 2000, 2001. Good Lord. Like yeah. It's been 15 years now. Um, We were chatting briefly before we started uh, recording, but you had not read this book. Had never read this book, would not have picked it up. Nope. But makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense if you know me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, was quite surprised. uh, Thoroughly enjoyed it. And, And yeah. I knew of it from like pop culture references. Exactly. And, mm. You know, yeah. high school, you know, you It has a lot of baggage. 
Yeah, mm. yeah, this it does. Book. Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah it you does. go into it um, <laughs> like expecting to get ruined, yeah. and it <laughs> and it does its job. It's, it serves yeah. us a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, took, yeah. T- yeah, it took me like a chapter to get into it to figure out this was the book you actually wanted me to read. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> because it it wasn't about baseball or Boston. Exactly. Ex- yeah, yeah. So. And I'm wearing a Red Sox shirt, so yeah. I'm fulfilling that stereotype exactly. all the way through. Today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first time to the podcast. Yeah. First time to the book club, but not yeah. first time to the show. Right. Wow. Uh, I've had this conversation with you several times. Ephraim. Yeah. But your parents pronounce it Ephraim? No. I, 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 I don't know, Nate. Fair enough. <laughs> My brother went to Hebrew high school, and then he came home and said it was Ephraim. So I'm just I'm oh. screwed. I don't <laughs> Holy know. shit. So I'm going to just keep saying Ephraim <laughs> as if that's the name that I was given. Okay, that is your name. Hi. It's Molly Ephraim. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the book club. Thanks, uh, Molly's done my live show at the UCB, uh, but this is your first time here for the book club. Yeah. Had you read this book before? No. How do you feel? I feel great. <laughs> great. <laughs> I feel so excited to be alive. I'm excited to be here, and I, I, you know, hadn't read it in high school, hadn't read it in college knew of it being part of the great feminist canon. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's been on the list for a while, but just never got around to it. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm, I'm yeah. checking this all off. Am all I the only list. person who this wasn't on my list? <laughs> it could be. Well, let's and see. that's okay. We like the it's diversity not a of that. feminist <laughs> literature. Eric Patterson is here. He's new to the show and new to the book club, mm-hmm. but not new to reading. No, I'm a long-time reader. Long-time reader. Yes. Loves to read. Uh, had you read this book before? I had not, but the book that I read just before this book was A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Oh, yeah. Which is the most depressing book ever written. Oh, yeah. So this is actually uplifting. kind of very uplifting. Oh, God, I'm so oh. sorry. I'm like back-to-back. <laughs> no, I was like, this is what How a are you? nice aperitif. Okay. I'm, I'm great. Okay. I didn't, it, I didn't ruin it. It was on my list. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Glenn. It was oh. on my list also. So <laughs> stand alone. You're the only one. So you had not read it. Of course, you knew about it, but it was something wasn't assigned to you in college or high school. Or no, anything. I was an English major, and it just kind of I missed it. Yeah. So I was happy when you said, "Let's read the Bell Jar." Oh, good. Belger. I'm the Belger. The Belger. Um, Sam. Hey guys. Uh, Sam is here. Uh, he's part of this book club. Uh, Sam is a producer and engineer, um, and has been part of the last two book clubs. Yeah. And uh, you put a picture on Instagram or Twitter of you reading this book in the bathtub. Yeah, I did. Which oh I thought was real God. wonderful. Wow. Uh, Are there any razors? Yeah, right. Be careful. <laughs> no, I was reading it in the bathroom. My girlfriend took that picture. Uh, she walked by the door and she was like, I don't know who you're trying to impress. <laughs> All alone. She's like, we're already dating. It's been a couple of years. She's like, I like, it couldn't have looked like a more uh, staged, sensitive yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a book you read in the subway. Yeah. Had you crossed this book before? Have you read it before? This was a first time experience. You know, it's funny. Uh, this is like a lot of books that are really sad that w- when I was younger, I read three quarters of and was like nope yeah yeah <laughs> like when it started to get to the real heavy mental stuff yeah it mirrored so much of what was going on with me that I was like nah. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not ready for this no I don't want to go through that yeah, yeah so it's up until I read it this time this is a story about a girl who goes to New York and then <laughs> <laughs> I don't know 
Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Well, a bunch of stuff happens. Yeah, it turns that. out it gets way worse. Yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> you thought New York was bad. Yeah, yeah. there's a crawl space. Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the story and whether we liked it or didn't like it, it's a little background on Sylvia Plath. Um, so much of this novel mirrored her own experience. Uh, she was born in Boston. Her father died when she was very young. Um, she was very bright and driven. She got all sorts of scholarships. She went to Smith on a full ride. Um, and she also got a summer scholarship to work at Mademoiselle. I'd lost my subscription. Uh, <laughs> then her uh, mental illness really began to catch up with her. Um, she writes about slashing her leg in New York City to see if she could have the courage to commit suicide, which is something that comes up in the book. Um, she suffered from depression. She tried to kill herself with sleeping pills and ended up in her mother's crawl space. That is completely ripped from her own life. Um, and she was committed to McLean Hospital in Cambridge, which is a very famous. It's like maybe the most famous of mental hospitals. Mm. It's where so many. I think uh, Girl Interrupted is sort of like based uh. on McLean. That's where that's where David Foster Wallace went, and that didn't. It's end for up fancy right crazy either. people. It's for wealthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you know who made it out? James Taylor made it out. Mm. Oh, and wrote a great song about. He it. He wrote Fire and Rain. Yep. I think right. He did. Um, so it's not all bad. Uh, but she did have ECT. She had electroshock therapy there. Um, she went. To, she studied in England at Cambridge. She married a poet, Ted Hughes. Had a problematic relationship with him, which I don't know much about. I think um, he, he cheated on her a lot. I think. Okay. Yeah. There was. I was reading some stuff online that there were a lot of feminists who tried to who wanted to kill him mm-hmm. because she <laughs> yeah. was sort of um, like the ultimate sort of symbol of. We're a pretty angry bunch. Sure. So. <laughs> I get it. Doesn't take much. I get it. Um, Any little thing. <laughs> just a hair trigger. Nar- narcissistic ambitious So a, a male, lifetime whatever. of being terrible to a woman, that shows up on your radar? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, she had a uh, Pulitzer Prize in 1982 for her collected poems. Um, she was known as a confessionist which I think um, it's not only here in the Bell Jar, but in all of her poetry, it's very confessional. It's very personal. That's why people are drawn to her, less about her, um, like her way with words and more about how uh, free and courageous she was to write these things down in the first place. And was that a new thing in the early 60s, late 50s when she was doing that? I mean, I I wasn't an English major, so... Was that That's a great that, question. Yeah. Neither am I. I mean, I know it was written in the. It was published in '63, but she 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 died already. She had died a month. Um, she died a month after it was published wow. in the right. UK. Right. But also, she was. I mean, uh, that time, the late '50s, just you know, women. A woman is supposed to be in the the nuclear family. She's mm-hmm. supposed to be in the in the bell jar. Yeah. Right. In the kitchen <laughs> and, and know your role, yeah. and um, you weren't allowed to have a career and be a creative person and. Um, so she struggled with that throughout her life. Um, it wasn't published in the U.S. I didn't know this until 1971. Mm. Yeah, did you it's read? Crazy. Did you read that in the? Beginning I read the of little. This? I, was, yeah, and I read the after thing I, too. I thought yeah. that was fascinating yeah. that they, they they missed the copyright. Did you? Did you? Oh, that? I didn't read that part. They no. forgot to copyright it. Basically, just they <sighs> fucked up. And then, the first printing of it. In the first printing of it, and so there was a publishing house in the U.S. In 1970, I think, that wanted to publish it and contacted the UK publisher and said, we got a bootleg of this book Mm -hmm. seven years later. 
and oh my God. we were going to publish it. And they didn't want to publish it. She didn't want to publish it in the U.S. because it was so close to her, her actual family. story. Yeah, and her, her mother did, certainly didn't want her. Her mother didn't that. want to right. publish. And so the U.K. Ugh. publisher said this was against her wishes. And the U.S. publisher said, oh, okay, we won't publish it. Wow. And they actually backed down. Wow. And then the U.K. publisher <laughs> said, well, someone's going to publish this if we don't. And so they went to her mother and said, you know, You might as well try to control permission? it or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Was it, it was a mm. British – British uh, uh, publisher that published the book in the U.S., like with a yes. partnership? Yeah. So the original, that, that American publisher that reached out didn't get any of that money. No. Holy mm. shit. Yeah. How, wow. char- how charming, because it, uh, the publishing world doesn't work that way Not anymore. at all, no. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> imagine that crazy. happening. I'm sorry, we'll um, back down. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we can go around the table and feel free to jump in at basically any time. Um, but one of the things that jumped out at me... Uh, most was that her ailment was never named. Mm-hmm. She's never diagnosed. I'm assuming it's depression, manic depression, or... Yeah, I, she looks in the abnormal psych book and can identify right. she herself, herself. Yeah. Right. and knows what a serious case she is and that she isn't going to be cured in any way. Um, but yeah, I don't think that there's a, like a specific name that's yeah. put to mm-hmm. anything and, and or I think a that, And I think that's pretty much how little this I think she's reflecting how we didn't talk about these mm-hmm. things back then and yeah. keep in mind yeah. when this was happening we didn't have all the distinct minor like bipolar depression yeah. it might have just been a one category like mental illness only really like well, just, or just recently really got all its specific categories when this happened it might have just been one of those where they're like oh you have sadness or that's everything like where it's like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah hysteria and, where they're like oh okay and people didn't go to therapy in the late 50s early 60s yeah, cuz they because, shock you to yeah, yeah this was not a yeah. thing yet i mean unless you were like an early freudian or something and maybe in new york city and you were a neurotic jew right right but that was it yeah. i mean there was no no one talked about their feelings right. anywhere. <laughs> Even the yeah, mention yeah. of group therapy, she finds completely laughable. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. right. I, I just found it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming at, at some point she knew what, that she had a diagnosis because mm-hmm. depression was something that existed yeah. and was a term. Uh, but she never says that Esther suffers from X, Y, and Z because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. so many I don't know. One, it's like you said, it's very hard to talk about, and she had so much courage to put all of this out there. But also, there's something about if you're call, if you're depressed, or if you're bipolar, or if you're whatever. So many people make assumptions about what that means about you and your behavior, mm-hmm. and so I think it was a specific choice on her part to not give Esther. Um, mm. Like a, a title, label. yeah. So yeah. the so the reader wouldn't make assumptions as to like what's coming next, how she's behaving. That's, yeah. It's so, because the, the times that she used, I found a couple times that she uses the word, um, she uses the word manic depressive to describe a town in, in Germany, the, the town that her father was a manic depressive little hamlet. Mm. And she also, when she's having <laughs> uh, cocktails, she's the first time when she goes out, that guy just walks up to their cab, Lenny, mm. um, when they have a drink right. at that bar her her drink is just, she had a wet, depressed drink. <laughs> but she never described herself until later, until she was in a hospital, that she was depressed. But she would use those terms to put on, like, yeah. items yeah. as opposed to herself. That's, I thought was that is interesting. Like a very specific choice. Wait, can I read? I have Please. that quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My drink was wet and depressed. Yeah. Each time I took another sip, it tasted more and more like dead water. Mm. Dead water. Dead water. Mm. Jesus. Mm. Um, 
Did anyone else feel a connection to nature with this book? How she describes so many of her feelings through how she was interacting with the outdoors and trees and plants and weather. I feel like there's a couple instances in here where there was this real sort of that whole scene w- with Marco, where she's basically raped at this dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I shut my eyes. This is on page 107, if you're listening at home, along with your book, like a good little boy or girl. <laughs> I shut my eyes, and the music broke over me like a rainstorm. Uh, I'm jumping. It doesn't take two to dance. It only takes one. And I let myself blow and bend like a tree in the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of other instances where she describes suicide. Yeah, um, on page 97. Um, where oh this is when she was skiing with Buddy mm-hmm. um, and she's contemplating suicide she says the thought that I might kill myself formed in my mind coolly as a tree or a flower and there's four or five instances where she's sort of talking about nature in in describing her illness and I mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting and specific and I don't know why mm. she chose that but it kept on happening over and over and over again of course, that wonderful fig tree mm-hmm. metaphor, which is maybe the yes. most. Mm-hmm. I feel like that might be the passage that people pull from this book yeah. most, along with I am, I am, I am, mm-hmm. which I want to talk about as I well. I thought she did a good uh, the writing style of acknowledging nature and moving on. The last book club we did was a Hemingway. Mm-hmm. So she would start, and he talks about, he describes things for pages at a time. So she would be like, the river looked like this and kept going. And I was like, all right. <laughs> That's good. Two sentences. Uh, I got it. Got a good gist of what it looked yeah. like. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Very. We got but sometimes it. Sometimes even those metaphors are more opaque than just the yeah. looked like X. And that's – I was familiar with some of her poetry, although not super familiar. And it was nice that this carried that, like, very florid poetic style in with – like a really sardonic sense of humor sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah. Like she's, she's very sitting funny. outside looking at something beautiful and then, oh, you know, these peanuts taste like death or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's a yeah. wonderful smartass. Yeah. She's yeah. top-notch, <laughs> sarcastic smartass. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why maybe so many, like, young people, specifically young women, are so drawn to this book because it's very contemporary. It's 50, 60 years old, mm-hmm. but it's also – it's very um, – her voice is a voice of someone that you know mm-hmm. uh, who's – 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, I made a note. One of the funnier lines in here is at the end, I think it's on page in this version that we have. Yeah. uh, 158, she's talking about hanging herself and she's complaining. She's like, this house, these fucking ceilings. There's nowhere. And she's like, it's never, whenever she's talking about suicide, which is so accurate when you're in that mindset, is never about the suicide. That's never even a problem. She's not like, this is crazy that I want to die. She's like, you believe this bullshit? Yeah. Who built this fucking house? Like right. this house sucks. Yeah, <laughs> this fucking garbage ceilings and like it's such so such a funny way to like sarcastic smartass. Like if you were to be like, "How's your day going?" She'd be like, "Terrible." Not because she wants to die. She'd be like, "Terrible." Look at this house. I have to live here with its no no kill yourself ceilings. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to kill myself for weeks and I can't. It's all like suicide is sort of demystified here. There's there's a romanticism attached to it, I think. And this is just it is just factual. This is how I'm going to do it, and this is why. And this sucks because there's no beams in this house, and I'm afraid to cut too deep. How am I going to cut both wrists at the Mm -hmm. same time? Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of. I feel like. 
when people write about, there's so much weight to suicide that people write about yeah. it floridly and beautifully. And she's very sort of like, it's like a stereo equipment, like instructions. <laughs> like, it's all this point. Point. Yeah. I think yeah. some of it is, is more fetishized. Like when she's talking about the, the Japanese, is it seppuku or something? Yeah. Seppuku, yeah. Ritualistic. Oh, yeah. You know, she has, Ugh. I think she's thinking about it in this like kind of sumptuous way. Whereas sex, like losing her virginity is just such a binary. Yeah. And like yeah. both of those scenes, the one with Marco, the one later where she actually has sex Earl and there's Irwin. nothing. Yeah. And you are, as a reader, also in the dark with her. She's yep. just bleeding out. Yeah. Like those oh, are God. the really violent things. The suicide mm. is not violent at yeah. all. The suicide is like this thing to kind of be savored and she's thinking about forever. Yeah, totally. Well, and it's, point. it's hers personally, like the suicide thoughts. You know, it's yours. No one can get into your head in that. No one's going to take that away from you. That, there's ultimate control in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's private. It's yeah, it's, it's very private. And huh. so it's her, yeah. it's her world and she gets to be in charge of it and and – you know, she, she and even her description of it, she's in charge of those descriptions mm-hmm. in such a way that it like the sex one, you're just you are. You're just like, Ugh. Yeah. Both times she goes like, I'm just gonna lay back. It's you know, mm-hmm. takes one to tango. Yeah. Right. I'm just gonna wait for this to be over. Yeah. She's either a virgin or she's not. It's very like binary. When you think about death that way, you're alive or you're dead. But she like lives in this liminal space for yeah, at least half of the book. It is. It's, goes, kind of like, it's her apartness. She yeah. even goes so far as to say that she thought she would feel differently after, like after sex. Right. Like she'd be a different person. There'd be her before and then yeah, her yeah. After mm-hmm. she, she describes broke her virginity. Yeah, yeah, she talks about there's two different people in the world: yeah. people mm-hmm. who have had, had who are not virgins and people yeah. who are virgins. Well, I, I think that's accurate. I mean, I felt that way as a virgin. I thought like, oh, those people have done that thing. Yeah, yeah, and that mm-hmm. makes them. Separate and different now, and I'm mm-hmm. still in this other club. It's like a club right. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a very adolescent type of way of looking at mm-hmm. it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's like oversimplified, but yeah. Um, it's kind of the immature part of her is yeah. that part, you know. But I, women were treated that way back then too. You weren't allowed to have any power over your body or anything. So right, and the way the her the the culture that she's she's being brought up in her sort of. Um, her own feelings about herself and her own actualization of sorts is being stifled mm. because she's she's meant to go into this this world and be a yeah, even the doctor to other yeah. people, there's a, you know? a great minor moment where the doctor talks down to her yeah, I, f- I didn't yeah. mark the page but yeah, like yeah. she's I forget the way she words it but she's bleeding out yes. and she's like can you fix it and it says something like he like chuckles and he's like it'll yeah. be fine we're like yeah. Yeah, yeah. you do not talk to me like that <laughs> right yeah, he now says, oh don't like, worry I can fix it yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. condescendingly yeah. weird scene yeah it was weird scene. Every every male character in here is garbage to her. Yeah. Just like the doctor, like the guy saving her life is right. annoyed, it seems, that she's bleeding out. He's like, we'll fix it. Like, ah, you nut. And yeah. so many like, doctors say no. They call like 10 doctors. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, I forgot no. about that. Only like, if it's an emergency. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. She's hemorrhaging yeah. to death. Well, it was a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> that is, is Sunday, true. 1961. You, I mean, you know what I just realized? Yeah. That um, this character in this book is pretty much my mother's age during this time. Oh, and this wow. is in some ways my mother's story. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I, I hadn't really cl- – I mean, I clicked on a kind of a more visceral way with that. But, like, mm-hmm. I just really hit me that my mother in 1963 was uh, 20, f- 24 years old. So this is – you know, she, she, I think she's a little older than my mom. But 
it's kind of it's haunting to me because this was my mother's this was a lot of women's story and mm. um, the sex part and the creativity and not having your own voice and having to fit into a fucking box you know yeah. and so it's it's haunting it's it's haunting for for me as a daughter to think my god this my mother no wonder my mother drank yeah, right. Really, truly. Yeah. My mother yeah. tried to kill herself with alcohol, so no fucking wonder. But she yeah. just, it was a slow suicide. But yeah, yeah right. But th- this was all part of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, th- th- I mean, it was so, th- the 50s was such a, like we said before, like, you know, the, the roles were very specific. It was a very consumer based culture. It was like, it was McCarthyism is happening. And, and um, who was the president before Kennedy? Eisenhower? Yes. Is that who the president was? Yeah. Um, it's like, I feel like there was like this, the Cold War and there was the Red Scare and it was like you had to follow these rules and, and every so often like I, I wonder how many books like this were published before like when this book came out was it did it just did people lose their minds you know what's so weird too is is I, I tried to think about reading it in in a bubble in a bell jar without knowing about her own suicide yes right yes. after yes. and it's Impossible. It's <laughs> nearly impossible. I think it's so like inextricably linked to that act, and I wonder what was. I just wish that we knew something from diaries. What was going on in her mind? Because it's like, you know, she's reading these um, these headlines of girls yeah. in there. That was so fascinating to me. The the way that it was even, um, you know, written out, type print, like big, bold. Yeah. Like she's reading these news stories about somebody who tried to kill themselves and failed. Or- I found some old reviews when this came out. You can find mm-hmm. them online. I think she would have appreciated that this shows up in the book what you just mentioned mm-hmm. multiple times if she's those tabloids. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Since you can't overlook this, it, the reviews are like suicidal woman writes suicidal yeah. book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she's become her own thing it where is. it's like yeah. there's no there's no review I could find online that was just like a literary. Here's this book that right. came right. out. It's like noted depressed right. suicide mental health writer wrote this book where like it's, it's a cyclical thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think she for, knows yeah. that. And and I think some of her poetry re- reflects that, that she knows that, um, you know, there's this aspect to it that's like, oh, other people are going to be paying more attention because mm-hmm. it's it's what we crave. It's what we want to think about yeah. and look at. Yeah. And she's comparing her face with the dead girl's face, yeah. you yes. know, like yeah. looking at her eyes, oh, that could have been me. There's, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. those were things that kind of. I always I didn't I knew this was like a, a a feminist novel, but I thought it was more about suicide and about mental illness. And so when those few moments came out where she was a strong feminist, it, they really grabbed me. And I mm-hmm. thought this is unique. There's one on page sixty six where she she's with oh boy um, this is with Buddy. Uh, oh, lovely buddy. Good old, oh. buddy. <laughs> good old TB good old Here's an ashtray, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's talking about, I think they're at the hospital and they're talking oh, about pills. Right. And she oh. says, I thought it sounded just like the sort of drug a man would invent. Here was a woman in terrible pain, obviously feeling every bit of it, or she wouldn't groan like that. And she would go straight home and start another baby because the drug would make her forget how bad the pain had been when all the time in some secret part of her, that long, blind, doorless, and windowless corridor of pain was waiting to open up 
and shut her in again. Mm. Um, fact that it was a drug that a man would yeah. invent is very, very specific. Yeah. Is that the same trip where but or visit where buddy's like, oh, you want you won't want to write poetry when you have kids. Mm. It gives her that advice. I think it might be. I don't remember. Which is another, yes, another solid good buddy <laughs> yeah. moment so where she, he, yeah. she's <laughs> talking about poetry and he tells her once she has kids she won't want to yeah, write poetry anymore. anymore. Real mansplaining, <laughs> like yeah. tells her tells her what she'll want to do <laughs> when she has kids. Here's what you'll think. Is and, that after he just says, "Do you want to look at my naked body?" Oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He tells her that yeah. and then is like, "So you want to see this dick? Let's do this." And then after he's done, he's like, "Well." Let's see you. And she's Let's, like, nah, I'm good. And he's yeah. like, tight. And just goes on. <laughs> Word. I love where it gets to at the very end where he comes back and sees her and he's like crying. He's like, is it, is it me? Is it, me? Yeah. Is it something about me? And, she's and like, she just laughs nah. in his face. Yeah. He's like, you fucking you idiot. You fucking yeah. idiot. Dude, totally. yeah. I, I got the tone. All right. You know that thing that every generation does where it's like um, – New music happens, and then the generation before them goes. You didn't invent this music. Our our <laughs> yeah. generation invented yes. this music. There's a distinct tone I got in here where it's like, the millennials now get this bad rap where they're like, guys are texting and then they ghost where they don't respond and they're just terrible. And I was like, hey, <laughs> guys have been <laughs> shitty yeah. for a long time. <laughs> Fuck boys have been like every guy in this book like the part like he tries to rape her and then he's like I want that diamond like every yes. single guy in here like yeah. you just so you know every guy of our younger age reading this podcast now you didn't invent being <laughs> shitty to women no that story we've been, been terrible before. for a long time yeah. Yeah. alright and, yeah. Since and, it's, the beginning. and it's interesting because the healing that happens for her later in the book uh, most of the doctors in that program were women Oh, yeah. And so there was some th – yeah, yeah, and, yeah, And when her doctor was – after that first doctor she went yeah, to, and then when yeah. the new doctor comes and it's a woman, there was such a relief yes. in my body. Yeah. Like, oh, good, oh, not another – Yes, not yeah, another yeah, man who's just going to put her in a fucking box and right. put but a label on but her But that's forehead. weird, though. Like, there's a – there's a, a – I don't know what the term is, but there's, like, a, a, a term I see a lot in f feminist literature where they're, like – like you see it a lot in comedy where it's like the only popular female comedians just ape male stand up and they're like that's not technically feminism if you're just acting like a guy mm -hmm. and her doctor does the same thing she's like don't worry a woman doctor's here and mm -hmm. you're like alright everything's gonna be di different and still doesn't listen to her just shocks the shit out of her without telling her I, and you're I like I disagree I you, think you, you disagree I do I, I, I mean yes they did shock her but they did her did it in a different way okay mm -hmm. and and there was a sense of there, there was some sort of a safety there that yeah. I, that I thought it was a maternal safety that was important. So I felt like she betrayed her as a woman. She's like, the things are going to be different, and then she just goes to get her meal, and they're like, no food for you, and she right away is like, you bitch, I'm getting shocked yeah, today, aren't I? Yeah, and I, but I thought there was a resolution in that scene okay. where she was like, you know, I didn't want to tell you last night because I knew you'd be up all night, and right. she had just said yeah. in two sentences before. No, I'm telling you as a man, this is what happened. <laughs> you guys listening to me? And that's our show. That uh, relationship so. is interesting because you have that versus her and her mother. Right. And her mom keeps showing horrific. up. And, and even in if, if her mom is trying to care for her so deeply and just clinging on, and she's like, get out of yeah. my room. And Dr. Nolan says, like, don't worry, you're not going to have any more visitors. Yeah, you she's don't, not coming you, back. You don't need to see this woman. Don't and she even it. expresses yeah. she wishes her mom was more like Dr. yes what's, yeah there's a the remothering line, going what's the on? line her mom says where she's like i knew you would choose not to be like this is on page yeah. 145 yeah, yeah, yeah. she That's says like those uh i knew my baby wasn't like that i looked yeah. at her like what 
Like those awful people, those yeah. awful dead people at that hospital. She paused. I knew you'd decide to be all right again. Mm. One of the many people who pass judgment about mental illness. Buddy's dad mm -hmm. assumes illness is a matter of will. Mm -hmm. yes. The Christian scientists uh, who come and visit her say that it's like a, a mist, like in, from the Bible. And if you uh, if you if you uh, say that the mist uh, it doesn't exist, then you will yeah. no longer suffer. She, the mother, assumes that you can just decide to no longer want to be in a hospital, and that's okay. I love that everyone has their own point of view about the illness, uh, except this one who whose voice is most important, well, the voice I, of our narrator. And, and there's something interesting here. Um, you guys don't know me. I have a master's in psychology and have studied Jungian depth psychology. And one of the things we hold about in depth psychology is you know, and kind of post-step psychology is that, um, you know, a lot of these symptoms have nothing to do with people, that they have to do with the culture we live in. And I really think this mm. book represents that in a beautiful way, because when I initially heard of the bell jar, I thought the bell jar was depression. But then as I read this book, I realized the bell jar is the role that women, the, the, the one choice women were given in that time. Mm. And I really truly believe that her lack of her, her need to break f free of all of those lack of choices, but really showing that first third of the book, you know, how limited a woman's choices are, that that for a creative, intelligent, vibrant woman like she was, that that creates depression. Mm -hmm. That it's not necessarily a chemical thing in your brain, which it is, and the culture itself creates depression in hmm. people. Well, if you talk to like, like any you know actors, and you you have, I hear actors or artists in general talk about, oh, I can never do a nine to five. I would go crazy. Yes, You're literally saying, for sure, I could not sit at a desk all day and do. I'd rather shoot myself. I'd rather, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So you could see that this woman, the oppression know, of it. Yeah, yeah, you that. could feel the oppression of it. So, yeah. so I just, I, you know, I want to put that out there too. That, that she was like fifty years ahead of her time in being able to talk about how, how you know. Women took, you know, took their diet pills and drank too much and, and did all of this kind of stuff. And we're in this, that house she was in with all those other women. I mean, they were like, you know, ha had a place to store these women who couldn't cope with the cultural demands on them. Yeah. You know, in yeah. some ways. And, and they had to shock themselves. Mm. Or lobotomize. Out of it. Or lobotomize yeah. uh, themselves to fucking cope and be a yeah. Stepford wife, basically. Yeah. 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 The lobotomy scene is so, Ugh, it's so right. fucking terrifying, but it's also like, she says it's all through consumer culture. Like now that, now that I've had this, I can go shopping. <laughs> I can go, I can buy a dress. I can go to the movies. Yes. I can consume she, she, American culture now. Yes. Yeah. I love that she also gains respect for that girl after she realizes that she's been lobotomized because before that she's like, ugh, who is that girl? Yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. smiling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know? Oh, I hate her. And then she's like, I had a lobotomy. She's like, let's be friends. <laughs> you and me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> there's one other great example about um, there's so many examples about her sort of standing up for herself and for her femininity and calling calling the culture out on its bullshit but there's also really there's another sort of sly example on page 98 she, when she's skiing and she falls and breaks her leg she's going down um, and she's fallen uh, Buddy's face hung over me near and huge like a distracted planet. Other faces showed themselves up in back of his. Behind them, black dots swarmed on a plane of whiteness. Piece by piece, as at the strokes of a dull godmother's wand, the old world sprang back into position. 
You were doing fine, a familiar voice informed my ear, until that man stepped into your path. Oh. And I feel like that is just... Beautiful. She says it very specifically. She's like, this this is fucked <laughs> up that I have to follow these rules. And then in a more sort of subversive, mm. sneaky way. Mm. I was like, oh, she's doing both. And I like that she had the courage to sort of mm. do both of those things. Mm. We're going to take the shortest of breaks. We're going to come back with more. Uh, you're listening to Reading Aloud. This very episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than 20 bucks a month, you get four to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com and enter code NATE to save three bucks on a brand new subscription. And it's more than a subscription service. It's like an entire community of fans that share their experience with each unboxing of each month's crate. And they guarantee 40 bucks in value every crate. And sometimes it's a lot more. And every month there's a curated theme like uh, Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda, tons more. April's theme is Quest. So there'll be exclusive items from Labyrinth, Harry Potter, History Channel's Vikings, and Uncharted 4. And of course, we got our t-shirt and loot pin to help equip you for your adventures. Remember, you have to do this by the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe to get that month's crate. So do it before 9 p.m. Pacific. So go to Loot Crate, L-O-O-T-C-R-A-T-E dot com slash Nate and enter code Nate to save three bucks. Loot Crate. Put it in your house. Today's episode, as opposed to other episodes, is sponsored by Howl.fm. It's like Netflix, but for podcasts. And with Howl Premium, which is very inexpensive, $4.99 a month, you get exclusive access to brand new Howl original comedy series, The Mysterious Secrets of Uncle Bertie's Botanarium which is Jermaine Clement's new show uh, from Flight of the Concords. It's fucking great. Uh, what makes this show sort of special and unique as opposed to other podcasts is it's hilarious, A, but the sound design is incredibly layered and rich. It's like a... It's almost like an old radio play where you really can hear sort of every inch of the story. Um, so it's A, hilarious, and B, really fun to listen to. Um, and Jermaine Clement created that. So you can get that on Howl Premium, along with 120 hours of new and old original miniseries, um, Finding the Funny with the Sklar Brothers, uh, Fruit, uh, 80 comedy albums, and the complete archives from Comedy Bang Bang, How Did This Get Made?, WTF with Mark Marin and all the other Earwolf shows. $4.99 a month. And with the promo code READING, you get a full month for free. Yes. So that's Howl, H-O-W-L dot F-M. Use the promo code READING and get a free month of Howl. Do it today. It's Act Two. It's the book club. I'm here with Sam. I'm here with Kelly and Glenn. Molly and Eric, we're all sitting around a table talking about The Bell Jar by Victoria Lucas, a.k.a. <laughs> Sylvia Plath. Uh, it was published under a pseudonym, which I also didn't know um, before I read this. I have some email here, um, some wonderful emails from my listeners. Thank you for sending these in. Yelena sent this amazing passage that she found about, um, well, let's see here. It is a, she's, okay, it's, an, it's a, written by a graduate student of world literature, 
and one of uh, a, a Russian university. She's Russian, Elena. Uh, people listening in Russia. Hello. Wow, that's very cool. Um, the main theme, see if you can jive with this. The main theme of the bell jar is the woman's search for her place in the patriarchal society. So far, so good, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Plath takes images and concepts of the traditional patriarchal culture and weaves them into the modern context, parodying them and revealing their hostility to the woman. The central episode of the novel is the scene of Marco's attempt to rape Esther. It's remarkable that he attacks Esther in the garden, which in the context of the Western Christian culture mm -hmm. is traditionally associated with the Garden of Eden, a paradise on earth. Here, Plath draws a parallel between the attack on Esther, who dared to rebel against traditional male outlook on love, and the expulsion of Eve, who dared to disobey God. In this scene, Marco symbolizes patriarchal power of men over women as he beats Esther. He literally throws her into the mud, mixes her with the material from which God created the first human being. Marco's words also sound symbolically, uh, uh, your dress is black and the dirt is black as well. Thus, he equates Esther with the dirt as if throwing her into non-existence, reducing her to nothing and emphasizing in invisibility as an inevitable attribute of women in the patriarchal world. What do you think about that? Wow. I feel like I'm in English class again. Wow. That's yeah. cool. Great. There's also <laughs> another um, bit here. The number of girls who gained a summer internship in New York also can be interpreted as a parody of Christian symbols. Twelve girls <laughs> as a reference to the Twelve Apostles. <laughs> this unexpected comparison is based on the idea of seeking wisdom. They also have this the, the Last Supper where they're all sitting yes. eating. Oh, who said that? Did you say yeah. you were going to? I was going to bring in some crab. <laughs> some <laughs> avocado with avocado crab. Avocado pear. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Plath emphasizes the number of girls repeating several times that there was 11 of us. It's remarkable that it's Doreen who's missing at the party from the point of view of the American public morals. It's Doreen that, Judas. Exactly. Love that Doreen. Wow. Yeah. Depraved okay. woman. She's Judas. Um, <laughs> I love this shit. Who knows? <laughs> I, know. I just love that I love shit. it. I love it. I love it. I, love it. I could that. live in that forever. You can buy some of it, right? Thank yeah. you. Lena. She betrayed all of them because she was off with Lenny. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. She, she was not being. Right. Right. So the fig tree. Yes. Oh, fig let's get into that. Oh. Well, the fig tree. I'm because I was like, oh, what's sort of the mm, context of that? But it's the third tree, and it's the tree which Adam and Eve cover themselves. Yes, the shame like the of the leaves. body. Yeah, because it's when they recognize right. their own nakedness. Right. 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 And if we are going, her name is Yelena. If Yelena. We're following yeah. Yelena's theory. Yeah. Uh, post the, like, near rape in the garden here, um, she has to, she's completely bare. She says she's covering her, yes. her right. bare, best, That's bare right. breasts with her stole and picking up her shoes and sort of hobbling off and covering herself up. So she's been completely exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That all, yeah, perf That's perfect. I don't know. I think so. All right. It's, I, think it's, I think it's okay <laughs> to assume any of this stuff. Great. I, I love that stuff. I love it, I too. I love reading into it like Absolutely. that. That's, I think that's it's, fantastic. Also, yeah. just at the bottom here, you know, you have this whole, like, virgin horror paradigm mm -hmm. throughout, which is sort of the Bible distilled as far as women, <laughs> as far as women are concerned. Pretty much. Um, but um, in my copy, at least at the bottom of 109, um, Marco just says sluts, all sluts. Mm. Marco seemed to be talking to himself. Yes or no, it is all the same. So Fucking for him, Christ. it's just... 
one giant wash of, <laughs> of slut. slut. Of yeah. slut. <laughs> well, you know, and then at the so end, no dichotomy there. where she gets to take control of her body and get some birth control, mm. she was fitted for something. I'm mm-hmm. guessing it was a diaphragm. A diaphragm. Yeah. It was a diaphragm, yeah. Um, which was so, just felt so radical to me mm-hmm. at this time, like yeah. that, that, that women were getting to ha- got to do that and were doing that and and then she goes and has the official sex and almost dies from it yeah you know so she she'd taken power in her hands and she'd picked this gentleman uh, which, which I love that line where she talks about, I decided to practice my new normal personality on this yeah. man. Oh, God, I love that. Oh, uh, because that's the way I feel most moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got the normal personality on today. Uh, but then, it, yeah, and really I was kind of confused by that ending with, you know, th- that the sexual act then she almost dies from yeah. it. Or, or mm-hmm. was it like – some sort of a cleansing of a bleeding of some, I, I don't know. Mm. I, I just, I was trying to hold like symbolically wh- yeah, sure. why that happened that way. And it, because it wasn't like a true victory for her, this sexual act, but, um, oh, and what was interesting was when she was almost dying from the hemorrhaging, she seemed worried about staying alive now because she was like, call the doctor, call the doctor. Yes. She could have died. She could have bled herself out and let herself go. Yeah. And that could have been a natural suicide. But she wasn't in control. She wasn't in control of it. Right. You know, and there's all that blood too. Yes. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Yeah. That, that yeah, moment I was like, exactly whoa, right. I'm nervous for her and she's nervous about staying alive. And ooh, that's a new thing. <laughs> yeah. She wasn't able to lift her arm. I thought, oh, now it's serious. Yeah. Now it's getting really serious. She yeah. can't even lift her arm because yeah. she's so... She's bled out so much. So I guess that was sort of a healing because she was fighting for her life. I guess on the surface, Maybe. I see it I as know. like she was almost murdered by this guy. Like she decided mm-hmm. to have intercourse with this guy and it and ended up with her bleeding to death basically almost. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a, another interaction with a male that ends up almost, you know. Maybe, yep. So and I, with suicide, it's your it's your final act. It's your truly control, you know. This guy would have been in control of, yeah. of her death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Irwin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good old Irwin. Irwin. I love the names. Good old fashioned um, names, all of them. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the uh, trusting the narrator and trusting mm-hmm. that the narrator is telling us the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I, I trust, I trusted everything until she got to the hospital and she her delusions started to overtake her, and it was so. Sylvia Plath was so fucking smart about. She just sort of, like, it took 50 pages for one to come down. Mm-hmm. And then once she got into the hospital, was every few pages, I was sure the that yes. doctor was fucking with me. Uh-huh. The, 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 um, uh, someone else on the outside. Oh, she, uh, she was sitting with her mother, and she was sure the other doctors were listening to her and writing down uh-huh. shit. And they are introducing themselves as Dr. Pancreas. Yes. yes. <laughs> was, now, is that... Is that her own mental illness getting the best of her, or is that the truth? And I wondered. Go ahead, Sam. There could be a third uh, option, and and that's we talked about like what a good smartass she was. Mm-hmm. This could be her in her own interjecting of like maybe she didn't even listen yeah. to their name and be like then this du- it's her way of being like then this douchebag came in <laughs> right. like, you know Mr. like Pankers. he's like I'm so and so and she's like don't care Dr. Pancreas when the yeah. come in too it's you know like I mean? oh there's now nine people with 18 eyes looking at yeah it could have been one just, where she's like great 40 people I think cool. it's her but kind of being blase about yeah, like, exactly. who's taking care of me I don't really care mm. when she was with her mother out and, and uh, Mrs. Tomalio mm-hmm. who was like 
sharing a room with her. Yeah. Uh, but the minute my mother turned around to me again, Mrs. Tomaleo matched the, the tips of her fingers together the way my mother had just done and cast a black, mocking look at me. So she saw this happening over her mother's shoulder, like, oh, she's fucking, she's fucking with us. Mm-hmm. Was that actually happening? Or is that just something that she was seeing in her own she's, sort of mania? She's, she points out so many times, she's so angry. There's a, she drops these little lines where she's like, I was out in the park, blah, 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 blah. I fucking hate kids. Yes. And she says that line, like, she makes it crystal clear, like, her depression has brought her down so much. She's so mad. Uh, you know, the doctor's like, how, how, hi, how are you? And she's like, this handsome motherfucker. I hate him. Like, she has that response a lot. So it fits in that pattern where she's like, then this lady's mocking me. Mm-hmm. And this person's so do you think looking at me. I do you think it's actually happening? I don't think or so. Do you think this woman was being playful? Or do you think it didn't I mean, even it happen could, at all? It's an insane, not insane, it's but it could also be a, it could be both. It could be one person's just looking at her and doing something and she's like, they're mocking me, you know, it can be both yeah. categories. I mean, there were times when I felt like Joan was a, was her own wish fulfillment, mm. you know? Totally. And I, like, it, she feels real to me, but then sometimes I feel like, did, did Joan kill herself or is that just something? And she even says at one point that Joan yeah. is... She's like me through a mirror. Me through yeah, a mirror yeah, yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like and that. What's, yeah. what's that great line she yeah. says to Joan? Like, so Joan's like, is that Joan? Whether she's in the hospital and she's like, we should hang out or and something. She's like, and she's yeah, like, no. you're like a dumpy, yeah. frumpy, just yeah. straight to her face is like, <laughs> I would never hang out with you. Yeah. Do you know the line I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. openly is like, no, you're garbage. Yeah, and then walks out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. That's just just after she has the, like a lesbian experience with Dee Dee or something. Yeah. Joan does. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's all and she's very curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go back to the thing you were talking about earlier. Like, can we trust her in those moments? These paranoid kind of things. Yeah. I think for me, it's like, how did it affect you as the reader? Like, what did it make you feel? It made totally. Me, it made me feel like you know, uh oh, she's she's getting sicker. She's getting sicker, or she realizes that she's not in control anymore and there's something about mm. he- healing you know in the healing process where you have to surrender at some point to trust that the doctor or someone can take care of you especially in a mental health situation you have to trust that there is safety for you ultimately and I think that was at the beginning of that process for her where she was like I'm not even safe here and you and you're, you're I was really worried for her like if she never feels safe there she's not going to get any help or she's mm-hmm. not going to be able to take in the healing for herself. And so for me, it just, it created a lot of anxiety, you know, which I think was important. I want to talk about that for a second too. Yeah. Did anyone else feel uneasy reading this or were you able to just sort of step back and admire (laughs) this for a beautiful piece of literature? No. No. I had had a whole bunch of migraines a couple of years ago, like pretty consistently. And they came out of the blue and I never dealt with them before and everybody has sort of different experiences. But what was so maddening was that my doctors were saying, just try not to pay any attention to them. Ugh. Don't think about them and try because that will compound them. Yeah. It'll make them worse. Uh, if you're already sort of a sort of cerebral person and you're heady and you're up here anyway, try to like put attention towards your extremities. Think about your fingers, think about your toes, put energy elsewhere. And I there was a section in here where she said, Something about, like, I wish it had been my foot or something. Mm. Like, I wish that the problem had been my foot and not in my head. Mm. And I got that so clearly because I just felt myself during this time being like, I, I, where else would I put it? Where else do I live? I mean, if there's a problem in your head, 
where can you escape to? Nowhere. Yeah. So she's yeah. completely trapped in that. Yeah, she even makes that line. She's like, something about guys. And then she's like, even they know to shoot themselves in the head. Yeah. Like, when, yeah. She, when she's talking about suicide, she's yeah, like, how would I get a gun? The, she's like, like oh. smart enough to know that that's where you shoot. Yeah. yeah. She's like, like, that's where the issue is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like, oh, what, what like a man thing to do. Of course you'd shoot yourself. Like, right. ugh. I had the same feeling that you did, Molly. Like, it it, it scared me. Part of this yeah. part of this novel, especially toward like the last third of it, scared me. Because I've had, you know, we don't, whatever, if you suffer from depression yeah. or anxiety. or anxiety, yeah, like I have issues with anxiety and this stuff just like started to scratch that itch and I was like, oh fuck, I don't want to fucking, and sure enough, last night, <laughs> like, like woke up at f- four o'clock this morning, <laughs> riddled with some fucking invented bullshit uh-huh. in my brain that I was like, god damn it, Sylvia, yeah. <laughs> that was so cool and then you started scratching this thing and I don't like to scratch. Yeah. So what should I, I do, Molly? Because it's unrelenting. It's unrelenting. From about like the middle, I it was just sort of this monotonous drone of like you know exactly where this is headed, and she's kind of circling around. Maybe I would kill myself this way. Maybe I would do it this way. This yeah, way. yeah. And for and so I felt fact. like the first half of it, I was sort of trotted along and I flew through and I was like, oh right, I I understand the build up here, but then there's almost this like stasis of depression where it just mm. sets in and yeah. she well, can't yeah, take it off. Yeah. And I felt that way too because I've had depression and anxiety issues and that bell, even though the bell jar isn't the metaphor I would use for mm-hmm. me, but the fear of that thing coming back and there's a line in there where she talks about that like we don't know someday it yes. just might come mm-hmm. around again yep. and you know oh, it does a, for her in real yeah, life. Terrifying. And two nights ago I had a, I, I used to have horrible panic attack syndrome. Don't have them anymore. <laughs> 2.30 in the morning, woke up, could fucking barely breathe, had to wake my <laughs> husband up. Because I said to my husband, no, I think it's really serious this time. And he's so beautiful with me. He's like, honey, just you're okay. You're fine. Yeah. If you pass out, I'll call I'll call someone, but I'm fine. And I'm plus I'm going through a lot of grief right now. I just lost a very dear friend. Um, so that was compounded with that. But this was I, – I sent you a freaking email. I'm like, there's going to be fucking cookies or something, yeah. right? Because <laughs> – <laughs> I need to take the edge off. Yeah, I think it. De- yeah. yeah, it must depend on your own personal. Because I found the book extremely calming. <sighs> and the opposite. Because here's the thing: uh, depression and all sorts of mental illness runs really bad in my family. And it's been it, before this gets real heavy. It's been fine for a while now. But when I was in my early twenties, it got to the point. Had two suicide attempts. Got to do the little hospital stay for a bit. Mm. And it's so on point. Every minor yeah. little thing. Ah. The way the doctors talk down to you. The parts where she's like. I want a glass of water. And they're like, oh, why is that? That tone. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to fucking kill myself. It was yeah. like, yeah. so I'm like, oh, this is so unbelievably on point. While you guys were having panic attacks, <laughs> I literally was reading the book, literally like, <laughs> like highlighting things. Being like, <laughs> like, oh, oh, you nut. Like, oh, they do do this. Holy like, shit. There's, it, wow. there's so many funny things. The part where she's traveling, like the part where uh, we talked about earlier, she's like, I should kill myself. And then she's like, this house doesn't have any yes. things. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was cracking up. And I was trying to explain it to my girlfriend. And she's like, that's yeah. not funny. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then later, like, uh, she's on the bridge and she's like, I should jump into the river. Yes. And oh, her parents or her, her brother and her mom yes. just go. Yeah, they and put their hands forward. on the door lock. And she's like, ah, oh, you dicks. Yeah. Like she even says, she's like, you, uh, it's on, um, uh, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's on, uh, um, 
I, I forget what it is, but oh, 186, she goes, it missed a perfectly good opportunity to jump in a river. Yes. That I was like, yeah. oh, I've had that thought many times where like I'll leave a building and been like, that would have been a solid jumping point. <laughs> wow. Uh, but yeah, so, so it's weird. So I think it depends. Calm you. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I found it extremely calming to be like, because it, it gives you a sense of like, the joke I made earlier, which is unfortunately not a joke about like, oh, fuck boys and shitty guys have been around mm. forever. It also lets you know whatever, like, because mental illness is so unbelievably isolating, and you feel like you're yes. the only one. It just reminds you, like, oh, I didn't invent any of this. Yeah, yeah. this is all no- happening. Normalizing the way, of it. The way yeah. the doctors talk to you, the little parts, the random rage that you don't understand, where you see children and go, I "Fucking hate kids," and then you go, "That's weird that I like." On page two, she says, "She's like, I knew something was wrong with me. I couldn't make myself feel stuff." Like I used to have that thought when I was like thirteen. I would, I would go. I would have a favorite band. My favorite band would come to town, and I'd look at them and go, I'm aware I should feel something, mm-hmm. and I don't. Mm-hmm. And be like, smart enough to know this is bad, but I can't m- – I know there's like – your brain just is like, missing file here. I'm like, yeah. there should be an emotion. Right. Yeah. So anyways, that was my point. Like, I found it super calming. Well, it feels like she's watching her own life throughout. Yeah, that's yeah. why she's so calm. Like, she's like, oh, look at that girl. That girl's going to yeah, jump huh? in the river. Like, it's not mm-hmm. – it reminds me of the way Hunter S. Thompson – writes yes. about himself uh, yes. like that's a straight up Hunter S. Thompson line where she's talking about uh, who's her fun friend in the, the start Doreen Doreen mm-hmm. where Doreen's like or she's talking about mm-hmm. her and she goes usually a good puke makes you feel much better yeah. <laughs> that's a straight Hunter S. Yeah. Thompson like totally like, mm-hmm. have a good puke you feel yeah. better usually <laughs> like that's a you know yeah but like yeah you said you're just watching so for you yeah. then did you feel like this was a distinctly female like feminist only voice here's here's or no here's oh uh, yes and here's mm-hmm. what's shitty for women is that the the suicide and mental illness stuff no universal yeah but the whole the way nobody listens to her mm-hmm. n- is such a bummer because when this happened to me as a white male a white straight male <laughs> at 23 when I went I tried to kill myself and was like shut it down yeah here's all the help. Mm-hmm. That you need. Uh-huh. Nobody was like, hey, get back. Go write uh-huh. for your magazine or whatever. You know, like. Right. So, uh, yeah, like, you just forget. this. Uh, what am I trying to say? This is a good example of, like, she mental, what you were saying about, like, how much of it is due to your surroundings. The culture, This yeah. was mental illness being made worse by a lifetime of people when her going, I yeah. don't feel well when people are going, hey, shh. Yeah, just put and a smile going, on your face. What were you saying? Yeah. Right. yeah. And ignoring yeah. her. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's wonderful feminist voice. I guess that's what like why this book is so important, so special to so many people is like I I said in the beginning, it's just the courage that she had to, especially at the time that this book was written to to talk about things that no one ever spoke about, and it's 2016. Yes, yeah. and people are still terrified and ashamed about talking about any of this. Um, I remember Obama, maybe it was, it was during his second term, I think it was two years ago, he was at some town hall, and he talked about health care and talked about how mental health care is part of health care. Yes. And it, was, it led the fucking news. Yeah, yeah. Like a president said that this is just as important mm-hmm. as breaking your ankle and being able to, like, get surgery at a reasonable price. It's 2016, and it's st- this is still... And probably will be for a long fucking time. This has been a battle since people discovered mental illness. This has been a battle. Yeah, I mean, anything. Maybe there are other cultures where people are comfortable talking about it. They're usually the shamans of other cultures, actually. Right. Um, uh, But, yeah, it's anything that 
you know, it's that thing like, oh, that person's not fitting in. I mean, no matter how niche we get and how individual and how many Twitter accounts and all of that and, <laughs> you know, how many podcasts there are in the world and we can all speak our voice, there is always a predominant need to fit in in some way. And to talk about this stuff is uncomfortable, you yeah. know, unless you can find your tribe. And then to talk about it, the culture at large. I mean, you know, thank God for, though, for people like Phil Donahue and Oprah who did – open up this conversation in the culture, at least mm. in the afternoons on television. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and like we talked about earlier, keep in mind that treatment for this, I wouldn't have, like, with my own struggles, I wouldn't have said anything to anyone if shock treatments were still right. a thing. Yeah. I would have been yeah. like, feeling good? <laughs> feeling great. Yeah. Yeah. If I thought there was a chance you could still get a lobotomy, I would have been like, nah, yeah. and, crushing it. And yet, had a friend, major clinical depression, could not deal with it for 10 years, went and got shock treatments two years ago, and it has changed his life. Really? Oh, wow. They have a wow. very modern version of it, and well they're, they're, they're using it in a very different way, and it can change your life. So nothing's off the table, I believe. They're not doing it in the way where you just wake up yeah. without a breakfast and they just <laughs> give it to you. <laughs> you're not slamming some steel things <laughs> on your temple. I mean, this is this also like this and, and maybe like Ken Kesey's like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm -hmm. or two, maybe the two most famous like anti like yeah. do not go to a hospital because yeah. you will you you will not, it, it will not work yeah, they're out they're going to make you crazier they will make you crazier yeah uh, whether it's medication or psychotherapy or electroshock therapy you're going to a fucking dungeon you're going to a haunted house and it's going to get worse yeah and if you have any outrage about the culture and they they then name you crazy you know, that, that's yeah. that's the big danger is, you know, oh, politically, we don't like what you're saying. You're crazy. Yeah. Put him in that room. Yeah. That's the terror of it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go around the room. We're going to finish up here. Um, I want to get everyone's sort of last thoughts about the book, what this experience was like reading this book, and if they would recommend it to a friend. I'll start with you, Sam. You're to my right. Yeah. I'd, I mean, uh, I'd absolutely recommend it. I mean, e e mental illness – or not. If, if you don't struggle with any mental illness, read it because it's an amazing book. And then if anything, I'm sorry that you do, but if you do struggle, it's just going to get better in your understanding. There's such like a, it's so, if you, like you said, if you have mental illness, you don't ever have to tell anyone. You can, t it's not selfish if you don't want to talk about it, but the people who can write these books, you do an invaluable service to people. Uh, if I had finished this book when I was young and gotten through it, I could have saved myself yeah. so mm. many later shitty teenage years where I thought I was alone. And, right. like, and I would have cut out shitty people from my life because it's so apparent when she writes, you're like, this buddy's a real garbage person. <laughs> yeah. Or everyone in here is a real piece of shit that when I met those people in my late teens, I would have been like, I don't think you're healthy Mm -hmm. For me to know, yeah, this is an invaluable resource. I think everyone should read it. Yeah, Eric, what are your thoughts? You know, I think it's a fascinating character study. I would, I would totally recommend it. Um, if you had, to I, I think I, I kind of shied away from the book for a long time because it just sounds like a depressing ass yes, book. Sure, and it is. <laughs> you but know, it's beautifully it, but written. But it's beautiful, <laughs> and the way she writes, I think, yeah. is incredible. And it was, it was an easy read. Also, you, you fly through you it. You fly. Yeah. yeah, it's very it accessible. Yeah, I, I I loved it. Yeah, great. Molly. Likewise. I did. I have already recommended it to one of my best girlfriends. And oh, good. I said it's fine because I, I know um, I know you'll enjoy it, and I know you don't know how to use your own oven. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so I can absolutely recommend this one to you. I'm, I'm not afraid of what that would do. She doesn't bake. No, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. um, no, I think it was fascinating. As I said, it it's – 
it's so interesting to have this book as the context for a life, to look back over her life, to mm -hmm. understand the timing of her own mm -hmm. death and this book and put the pieces of the puzzle together looking at her poetry. So I think that's kind of a, an interesting thing that it gives us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Glenn Davis. <laughs> uh, very interesting read. So, like I said, something I would not have picked up, but um, really loved it, really enjoyed it. The the way she wrote, like we talked about earlier, um, her sort of, sort of sense of sarcasm about the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I really connect with. But um, uh, personally, I have, I have some mental illness in my family. Uh, few times gone undiagnosed and so this spoke to me in the in the sense that how important it is to 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 sort of separate and and uh, identify the difference between true mental illness and simply just not fitting in into what the what the culture demands of you, you know? mm. and and what those and or an amalgamation of both you know and what those things bring and how they sort of you know present themselves but um but yeah I would recommend it um I've thought of Couple of family members, I wanted to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was lovely. I loved her honesty. Yeah, me and, too. And last thing is, if it, reading it, it felt like her, she herself was somehow um, starkly removed from, removed from the the thing itself, and could point out and to his point earlier, yeah, um, talk about things with such specificity. Oh, fucking you know? hard that must have been. Yeah. yeah, to suffer through all of it, and then to have the ability as a writer yeah. to step back and it's have true. the courage to put it all out there. It's yeah. Interesting. She feels almost protected yeah. in that way when you read. Mm. Like yeah. you're, you're scared for her, and you know the outcome, but there is that kind of yeah, removed sense. Yeah, the distance. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. The, yeah, jo please. the job of the artist. Yeah, um, yeah right. And, and I, I agree with everything that everyone has said. And that unique slice of life that it gave me about, like, my mother's position as a young woman during that time, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a time machine going back and getting to see what it was like to be a woman in the 50s and 60s and um, b before the, the big feminist waves came about and uh, the oppression of that and – and the more invisible oppression that women live with today in our culture. And I'm not like a big on the frontline feminist type of person, but, um, but uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's more subtle now, but it's, but this is a, a great way to kind of like, you see it very highlighted, underlined mm -hmm. in big font in this book, Yeah, you know, so, so that part of it too. Um, and her, her writing is beautiful. She is a poet, and yeah. sometimes there are those sentences where you just want to eat them off the page. Mm -hmm. They're so they're so yeah. Beautiful. It's a good uh good. How would I word this? Like uh, if you're young, good intro to feminism since so much yes. information online. This is a yeah. really good like not just good just reading for to you. Understand? Yes, yeah, reminder. Read, read this. Right. See how they treat her and be like, there's a solidly That's... good chance someone talked to your mom like that. Exactly. So maybe finish the book and call your mom and tell her you love her. <laughs> and be like, sorry. Well said. So for 50 years, everyone just said no to whatever your ideas were. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, I love this book. I've never read it before. I passed judgment on it. I made the, like... It's the the like the ultimate sort of like sad sack like yes, you know yeah. book about depression and suicide, and it's an easy joke. It's the joke that you make if you're like talking about like oh are we gonna go read the bell jar, and then um, which I say all the time to a bunch of different people. <laughs> bunch of cheer up, go and read the mate. bell jar. We're kind of sick of it actually. Classic I know. I'm cordry. sorry, you guys. That's that's on me because now. 
I've read this book and I understand that I was a big <laughs> asshole for doing that. Um, I love this book. I didn't. Uh, I so appreciated her as a as a poet and as a writer, and the courage it took for her to lay all this trauma out. I didn't know that this was all almost based on her life, all the events that happened in her own life. I didn't know that she swallowed those pills and was in a crawl space in her house for three days. And I I mean, just so much pain. And yet, and I'm drawn to those kinds of stories too. Like my, there's there's a reason I love Elliot Smith so much. Like I I buy, yeah, I buy into it. Like it's like, it's so... And David Foster Wallace, there's so many people who are just overwhelmed. Melancholia. Yeah, I just, I, I, uh, I like to, like, bathe in that. And so this, this was, mm-hmm. even though it was hard at times, and I woke up in a panic at 4 o'clock this morning. <laughs> we should have called each other. I should have, yeah. <laughs> take a quarter of a melatonin and I was like, oh, go back to bed. You, please, it's okay. Relax, relax. Um, I, I really, I'm so glad that I, that I read this book. And, uh. And I'm excited to that, that to like spread this book to other people because I think it's wonderful. Um, where can people find you online, Kelly? You have a book to promote. Uh, my book. You're I, done promoting it. Or you, my, you always promote a book, right? You always promote a book. Okay. A, a Carlin Home Companion. But you can find me on Twitter. I'm Kelly underscore Carlin. My website, kellycarlin.com. Glenn, where, where can people find you online? <laughs> I actually don't have an online presence. That a boy. Wow. Well wow. said. Yeah, get it. Wait, you're okay. a ghost. I touched him. He's, He's a real, real person. <laughs> He's real. Bless you, Glenn. So what's your home address if people want to come <laughs> out and say hello? <laughs> P.O. Box. <laughs> where can people find you, Molly, online? Oh, I'm on Twitter, Nate. What's it? I'm at, at Molly Ephraim. Great. Eric? I'm at, at, at Eric Patterson. Patterson, sorry. And I will plug one thing. Please. Um, I have a play opening at the Echo Theater in Atwater uh, in July. It's called Nice. One of the Nice Ones. And uh, who's it directed by? Uh, Chris Fields. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Wonderful. Go check that out. Check it out. It's not till July. We haven't even cast it yet. But. Okay. That, is there a part of it for me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. N- N- Glenn's available. We'll talk. We'll talk. Sam, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter at Sam Kiefer and Instagram is at Pizza underscore vasectomy. <laughs> Classic. Wow. That's, that, that's true. The username was totally free. Uh, the next book uh, for the May book club is we've, we, I'm walking away from uh, the classics. I'm going to something contemporary. Our Souls at Night. Uh, Kent Haruf. That sounds real light, Nate. Um, <laughs> yep. It's a, want me to read the description? Uh, sure. In the familiar setting of Holt, Colorado, home to all of Kent Haruf's fiction, Addie Moore pays an unexpected visit to a neighbor, Lewis Waters. Her husband died years ago, as did his wife, and in such a small town, they naturally have known of each other for decades. In fact, Addie was quite fond of Lewis's wife. His daughter lives hours away in Colorado Springs, her son even farther away in Grand Junction, and Addie and Lewis have long been living alone in houses now empty of family, the nights so terribly lonely, especially with no one to talk to. And then what happens? These two people find each other and have cool experiences. My name is Nate Cordry. You've been listening to Reading Aloud. We've been talking about the bell jar. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. I love you, Nate. I love you too, Sam. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. Hey, 
quick, don't turn the podcast off. I know you probably left it on by accident, but I'm Arnie Niekamp from Hello from the Magic Tavern. This is what's going on. About a year ago, I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King into the fantastical land of Foon. I'm joined by my co-host, a talking badger. Mmm, chunt, please. And a magical wizard. I am Usador, blue wizard of the twelfth realm of Ephesius. His name goes on a lot longer than that, but oh, we don't have so time for names. it. We interview adventurers, magical creatures, talking animals, and we talk about buttholes a lot. I apologize <laughs> for that. If that sounds interesting, download Hello from the Magic Tavern. Aye, uh, and then you can join me in my quest to defeat the Dark Lord. Correct, Donald? Correct. Download it on Earwolf, and the entire back catalog is also on the Howl app.